Hello, hello, hello. Is there anybody out there? Just comment if you can hear me. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Just Effinson Podcast. Um, all right, well, today is Q&A episode, and I will pick a winner uh, of the Q&A uh, giveaway from Precision Underground. I don't, I don't even know what the shit is. Like, I don't even know what's coming. They haven't sent it yet. Um, but I did, however, get my rear bag before the match last weekend. Um, I didn't mention it. I meant to mention that on the on the podcast. Me and Sierra recorded on the way home, and I, you know, driving at, you know, didn't think about it. Um, but I tell you what, the new rear bag from them, the, the it's awesome. I do wish uh, they didn't change the dimensions, but they changed the fill amounts and the strap on it. Um, which I appreciate both of those things. The, the fill amount is absolutely perfect. It is the perfect amount with the perfect fill for a rear bag. If you ask me, I do wish it was a little smaller. Um, like I mentioned, I don't have like, you know, carny small people hands. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I don't have LeBron James size hands either, but, um, it, it, either way it's, it'll work fine for anybody who's, I mean, who's interested in a rear bag. I'm not saying it's unusable. It's not, uh, it's not that at all. It's, I mean, it's the, it's the, it's the best, um, rear bag that I've, that I've used. Like it's just by changing the fill and, and changing the, the tightness, if you will, on the hand strap, it, it, I mean, it completely changed the bag and it's an awesome rear bag. So maybe there's a rear bag in the giveaway. I, I don't know. Like I said, I haven't received that package yet. Um, but I'm going to pick the winner today and, um, you're going to get whatever it's in it. T-shirt stickers, uh, rear bag. I hope it's rear bag in there. Um, uh, whatever it is, you're, you're getting it. Uh, but before we get to the rear, ba- I mean, excuse me, to the Q and a stuff, we're going to just cover some topics I want to touch on. Um, I think I covered, uh, Christian from vision products who, who does the, um, uh, Sandburns accuracy obsession chassis. He's the one who's cutting them. Um, he did, I, I feel like I mentioned it on the podcast, but I, just in case I didn't, um, they're probably gone by now cause I only made 10 of them, but he did a, uh, special edition trigger shoe for AI triggers that have just F and send it lasered in engraved at the top of the trigger shoe. And it's one of those things that you're not going to see it from like if the, the rifles on the ground and you're standing up beside it. But if you're paying attention, it's like the small detail thing. You're like, huh, that's fucking cool. Um, it, it's, it looks awesome. And, um, I, I can't wait to get mine. And, uh, he posted it up on social media. They're for sale. And a lot of people, sent me screenshots of it. Cause everyone knows I'm off the book face and, uh, and, and the gram. So I didn't see it. And other than a couple of people sending it to me. So, uh, if, anyway, they're, he only made 10 of them. They're, they're probably gone by now. Uh, anyway, it was, re- I thought it was really cool. And Christian, you're the man. Uh, glad you're enjoying the podcast, brother. Uh, all right. So Dick Durbin, I don't know if you know who Dick Durbin is. Uh, he's a complete piece of shit from a Democrat from Illinois. He he has uh, put forth some legislation. It's a, a domestic terrorism bill. It's basically to finally pull the curtain back and just, or I shouldn't say pull the curtain back. I should say 
pull the brakes off of if they were ever on off of the Patriot Act to do exactly what the Patriot Act was intended to do, which is to spy on Americans. And then, you know, they can deem, quote unquote, domestic terrorism, whatever they want it to be. Uh, and that's that's where we're at on that. And they're, the Democrats, they feel like they feel like we're the biggest threats to humanity is conservatives when that's not a problem at all. They're using they're you know, they're still riding the train from January 6th where a few windows got fucking broken. Then the only shots fired, the only person killed was from uh, Secret Service or Capitol Police or whoever it was uh, shot a girl, unarmed girl in the head. Uh, where was the, the outcry for a unarmed person getting shot by police there? I mean, that's what the whole America burned to the ground for, you know, this summer, right? People, people getting shot that weren't armed or killed that weren't armed. And yet we're not doing anything about it. And that was completely, and that cop was hailed as a hero from the left. So it's just one one more of the one million things that prove and show and showcase the hypocrisy of the left. But if you ask them, me and anyone listening to this podcast probably is in their minds a domestic um, terrorist. So if that goes, it's just one step further into. Um, Completely neutralizing the opposition. That's that's all it is. That's the end game. They neutralize the opposition. Everybody else shut up in color and and get back in line. That's that's all it is. Uh, Dick Durbin, you can suck a fucking Dick Durbin. Um, and anybody else who supports that bill or anything like it. You got the assault weapons ban trying to get going again. You oh, look. I don't know. I feel like I said it on the podcast. I know I said it on Sniper's Hide, and I wish I'd screenshotted it, but. Back before the inauguration, I made a comment. And if if you're a listener, I don't really listen to my own podcast, so I don't I don't remember. But maybe you guys remember. I feel like I mentioned it here. I said, "You wait." Shortly after this administration gets in the office, there's going to be a complete uptick in mass shootings, or at least one great big one like Vegas was and all that stuff, which was the CIA, but, uh, neither here nor there. I said it was going to happen. So convenient. They're, they're, they're chomping at the, to push, chomping at the bit to push their gun control agenda. And that's exactly what they're doing now. Um, you got the media saying seven mass shootings in seven days. Bullshit. If you go and look at what the seven mass shootings are talking about, uh, like five of them were like gang related shit, uh, drive-bys in in urban areas and or self-defense situations. Um that's what they but they don't say that. They just say seven mass shootings. And then apparently there was another one here recently, but then they kind of find out it was some fucking crackhead gangbanger and that one's going to get pushed under the rug just like the damn Haji that uh, shot up a, what was it? A shopping center or whatever. I'm not watching the news. So I'm catching very little of this cause I really don't care because if you're listening to this government, whatever the fuck you push, whatever laws you pass in my mind, it doesn't apply to me. 
I mean, I'm going to keep doing what I do and that, that's it. Oh, but good news though. You didn't hear this in the media. The sixth circuit court just struck down then said that, uh, Trump's, uh, bump stock ban. He did not have the authority to do that. Ho ho. Okay. So everybody within, from way I understand it, everybody within the sixth, uh, district court circuit, uh, circuit court, um, jurisdiction, well, the bump stop ban doesn't apply to you now. So I hope you didn't cut the bitch up like, uh, like a pussy would. Um, but it's only been a matter of time before other, um, you know, whether it be the GOA or the FPC, take it to all the other districts and put it for, forward. And then the sixth circuit is used as precedent to strike that shit down. Cause that was unconstitutional. Um, and, uh, you know, that's happening all the while you hear, all you hear is how, you know, we're going to ban assault weapons and 30 round magazine clips, 30, 30 rounds a second, 30 clip mag, I mean, stupid ass shit that they say. Um, so I say suck a fat baby's dick and I'm pretty sure old uncle Joe, old pedo Joe would love that. Uh, anyway, uh, oh, another side note I thought was really weird. The, the, uh, I don't even remember what the fuck his name is. The Arabic guy, the guy from Syria who they're talking about taking in Syrian refugees. He was a Syrian refugee back in the nineties. Um, he, uh, he was actually, he did jujitsu. He competed. He, I saw a picture of him with two, uh, Naga, which is North American grappling association, uh, gold medals. So that's really weird. But I'll tell you what, the picture <laughs> <laughs> the picture from him uh, getting arrested and the picture of him after he won two gold medals at, at Naga. Man, what a difference. This motherfucker needs to put down the Twinkies. He's eating too much falafel or whatever fuck else they eat. Um, uh, let's see. Okay, I did something that I thought I would never do. I sold my Hancock, the John Hancock rifle, and uh, one of the spare barrels with it my six br barrel sold it with a dasher barrel on it so i put a mad scientist brake on it i literally sold a match ready rifle like he could literally throw a bipod on it and shoot a match with it the day he gets it i mean it's ready to go if he had ammo i'd have told him to load for it it's a guy named will something i'm not gonna say his last name if i could remember it anyway but oh okay so to give you a little background on why um so my back in 2007 my dad was going through like midlife crisis thing so 2007 hell was i shit how old was i in 2007 21 yeah 21 years old my dad decided he wanted to buy him a sports car now mind you my dad knows as much about cars as my five-year-old not to mention he can barely drive it any better than my five-year-old. And I told him, Dad, you, you don't need you don't need a car. You don't need a sports car. You don't just don't. You don't need it. Well, I'm gonna I'm do what I want to do. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get me I'm gonna get me a Mustang. Whatever. If you're gonna get a sports car, why don't you get a Corvette? Why well, I don't like it. It's too uncomfortable. Now, mind you, he's sat in one Corvette his entire life, and it was a c5 corvette that was uh my sister's ex-boyfriend he had a c5 corvette and he's not dad sat in it said it was the most uncomfortable car he's ever been in mind you a sports car ain't supposed to be fucking comfortable anyway 
Um, if you want a fast car that is comfortable, get a Cadillac CTSV or which they didn't have Hellcats back then. Um, but something like that, right? BMWs, whatever, M5s, M3s, whatever. But neither here nor there, he decides he's going to get a Mustang Shelby GT500. And I was like, whatever, get, it's your money, your car, get what you want. So he got a black right off the lot, first year that they came out with the Shelbys, uh, back out with the Shelbys. Um, and they got it, and he thought it was, he, 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 you asked him, he thought it was a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or something like that. Um, and thought it was some going to be some super rare collector car uh, car collector you know gym, and I'm like dad you know they're making like a f absolute fuck ton of these right they're making a bunch of them and it's not going to be very rare and they're probably going to keep making them and I was right but you couldn't tell him that which I look I'm glad he loved the car he he enjoyed it for a little bit he drove it. Um, but then he said, I want, I want to pep it up a little bit. No mind, you don't know. Like I said, he knows shit. Now I had a high 11 second Trans Am, like it 11, nine with a hundred shot on it. Um, big cam LS six intake, uh, 3,600 yank SS stall converter. Um, long tube back, uh, all the bolt ons, all that stuff. Uh, and it was a fast car, 373 gears, 315 uh, drag radials. I mean, it, it was a fast car, and for for what it was, a bolt-on car. Uh, fun. I loved it. I sold it for my the buy my wife's engagement ring. Fucking stupid. Uh, not to get engaged, but I shouldn't have sold the car. I should have just got the money some other way. Either way. So, uh, but he doesn't, my dad doesn't know shit about it. So he's like, well, I want to make it go faster. I was like, all right, well, Whatever, I'll uh, I'll take it to Fastlane Motorsports in Benson, North Carolina, which they are in one of the best Ford shops in the country. Um, and I did a 2.8 uh, pulley on the blower, uh, cane encoder intake, axle back exhaust. Um, what else did I do? Um, I did some lowering springs because it looked like a fucking jacked up truck with a factory suspension on it. Uh, wheels and tires. Um, and there's a 315 by 3520 on the back. Um, and it put in a, in a dyno tune, obviously. Uh, and it put down like five, things like 560 at the, at the rear wheels. Um, it's, it's the right motor. It's the wrong car. The car is heavy as hell. It's a big, it's a heavy beast. And if you put that motor in like a 50, I used to have a, a 50 coupe, a 92 50 coupe, uh, Fox body. And I, I really miss that car. Um, but if you put that motor in that car, holy shit, and people do, and they're fucking beasts. Um, but it's just a heavy car. But it's fun. It's fun to drive, no less. Uh, oh, oh yeah, I did. Uh, I mentioned axle back exhaust on it. So he did. He wanted to do a Flowmaster because that's the only one he knew. So I was whatever. So we put a Flowmaster axle back on it, and uh, that was back in like 2008. So the car, I, you know, I did all the work to the car. Well, I had it done. I took care of it fast when he did it all. Um, but, uh, you know, dad was like, well, one day this will be your car. I was like, okay, well, if you don't sell it, that's, that's fine. I appreciate it. I don't like, Ooh, that's my car or treat it like mine. No, I treat it like it was his car. Um, it's black silver racing stripes. The, the typical Shelby racing stripes that came on the cars. And, um, anyway, so fast forward to today, not today, today, but like, I don't know, five months ago, 
The car is in, now mind you, the car has 12,000 miles on it. The car had never driven. Anytime he ever wanted to drive it or if he wanted me to drive it, I had to jump the damn thing. I bought him a battery tender that he never took out of the package and lost, and we have no idea where the hell it went. Um, but, uh, yeah, it it just sat there in a garage. It has never been outside of a garage for more than eight hours in its existence. And But it would get dusty, and he would pay one of our employees that knows nothing about cars. The car was swirled. The black paint was swirled all to shit. Uh, Things were bumped into it, dropped on it, chipped the the chip paint, or not the paint, the vinyl um, racer stripes had chips in it. The car has just kind of been neglected, even as though it's a a nice car and it was low miles. The interior is perfect on it. The interior looks brand new, but the exterior of the car I mean, there was like mold. I don't know if it's mold, but yeah, it's kind of like mold on the inside of the interior that you just wipe down with a paper towel and it's gone. And then all in the engine bay, uh, the tires were fucking flat on it. The battery was dead. Uh, like I said, they had like a eighth of an inch, 16th of an inch worth of dust on it. And he would go like, Oh, it's just dirty and wipe his hand down the car. And I would fucking cringe. I said, dad, don't ever do that. Yeah, you just you just scratched the car by doing that. He just doesn't know. He doesn't know. He's you know whatever. So finally, he was like, "Well, son, I can't take care of the car no more. My dad's old. My dad's seventy five years old. He's got a heart condition, bad back. Bad. He's got like the shit back. He's had back surgery like four times. He's had both knees replaced. Not sure. He's had one knee replaced three times. Um, but he he can't. The car's just rotting away." So he was like, just take the car, it's yours. And, you know, you ain't got to wait till I die just because this, you know, the car's neglected. I was like, fine, I'll take it. Um, so I have the car now. And I don't know why, but I just had kind of gotten like the bug again for cars, I guess. And so I was like, I don't like the wheels that he is the the budget he wanted to spend on wheels it was the best ones i could do not to mention the the their black 20s the, the centers are are black but it's got a polished lip and i don't know if their dog their shepherd jocko pissed on them so much that the urine sat on the lips of the the polished lips and like ate through the clear coat he's curbed the shit out of them cuz he can't drive um the paint like i mentioned is swirled the hell up and I'm like, this, 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 we can't rock it like this. So I got the windows tinted on Songo because the windows need to be tinted. I can't stand non-tinted windows on a, especially on a black car. And I, uh, so I did that first. And then now I'm, I'm, I've talked to a guy. He's, I've seen his work. He is absolutely like a wizard. He's like a magician. What he does with paint. Um, it's not. He's not a body man. He's not a a painter. He's a paint restoration. And I've seen some shit like a Tahoe he did that was worse than mine, this this Mustang. And when he got done with it, the fucker looked brand new. He doesn't use fillers and all that stuff. He does this two-part system. It's fucking expensive as shit. And he's going he's gonna, to so he's gonna do that. We're going to pull the racing stripes off because I hate racing stripes on a on a Shelby. They, they don't look good. We're going to pull all the vinyl off the car and then do the paint correction fixed all the swirls it's going to look brand new he's then he's going to ceramic coat it but i was like man i just i i with the rent money not coming in like you've heard me mention i I have the money to do it but i just didn't have the money that i wanted to spend 
on that. Right. So I was like, I've got two rifles and it's always a battle. Which rifle I'm going to take. It's a weird feeling. I don't know. Cause I love them both. The AI will never be gone. The AI will, I will Jack's will Jack's kid will own my grandchild girl or boy will own this rifle. Um, and the Hancock, I love, I mean, almost as much, you know, um, and, uh, I just shot a match with it. The rifle hammers, but I was like, you know what? It'd be a lot easier and just switch barrel. I've got more barrels for the AI, more different cal. I got different calibers and it's so much easier to switch as you know, with an AI. So I was like, it just makes more sense to, to sell the, the Hancock than it does the AI. So I was like, all right, well, I want this bitch to move fast. Cause I want to, I want to order new wheels. I, the, the wheels I picked are fucking tits. Um, I'll actually, there's nowhere for me to fucking post pictures. Um, maybe I'll post it on a thumbnail, uh, of a podcast once I get the car all finished and everything just for shits and gigs. But they're amazing looking wheels, solid black, but gloss black, five star. They're called, you can look at them. Project six GR is like the brand. And then they're the fives that are five. star. I got a five, a seven and a nine and like some other weird ones, but the fives, um, and they look awesome. The car is going to be awesome. So I was like, all right, well, I want to move it. I know what I could probably get for it, but I'm going to move it quick. So I put it. So it was ARC rings, Vortex bubble level, Vortex Gen 2 razor, sunshade, obviously, uh, MDT chassis, John Hancock action, the nucleus action, serial number two, zero, 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 two, um, dasher barrel with a thousand over a little over a thousand rounds on it. Mad scientist break. Um, the weight kit for the MDT chassis. Trigger tech special trigger single stage trigger, uh, MDT bag rider. Uh, what else was sold with it? Um, a sap two round holder. Who gives a shit about that? Uh, that's about it. Okay, I sold it. I put it up, listed it for thirty five hundred. I could have easily got thirty eight hundred, maybe thirty nine, thirty eight fifty plus shipping. I did thirty five hundred dollars shipped. Oh, no, no, plus shipping. The shipping with insured was $83. Um, it sold in 14 minutes, if that. I don't I think it was 14 minutes it sold. And then everybody was like, oh, my God, like, you just you just got a deal. Like, that was a steal. And if that falls through, I'll take it. There was, like, 10 comments behind it on Sniper's Hide of people wanting the rifle if that fell through. I was getting messages, all kind of shit. And I'm like, look, I just wanted to move. The guy messaged me that bought it and was like, Hey, this was perfect. I was looking at buying, I wanted to get into PRS and buying my first match rifle. And I was looking at doing a build or buying one already done. And then I came across yours at the right time and it was perfect. And it was a good deal. I, well, I, I don't know if he knew how good of a deal it was, but he, he got a fucking steal on it. I know that and I'm fine with it. And I was like, I'm glad you of all people, got this rifle you over anybody else that could have bought it because this is your first match rifle. You're getting into it. I'm all about getting, you know, you guys know on the podcast, I'm all about getting new shooters, uh, in on the sport and just, I mean, I didn't do that purposely, but it worked out perfect that he bought it. I'm so fucking boosted. This guy bought it. So he got a hell of a rifle for one hell of a deal. Um, 
and uh, literally throw a bipod on it, fucking shoot it. Ain't load ammo for it. 31.8 grains of Varget with a 105 loaded at 1.780 base to ogive. And you got single digits in a bug hole group. Um, single digit SDs, 29.36 is the speed it's going to be because it's a 27-inch barrel. Um, and it, like I said, is a Rock Creek cut rifle barrel. So, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's an absolute hammer. It's one, it's one of the, if not the most accurate rifle I've ever shot. Um, it, it just awesome. And it had the 16 pound original spring in it. I've never had any issues with, uh, other than when it was brand new and I cleaned the lube, the, the grease off of the firing pin spring and I've never had it. And that was also four fifties in like 25 degree weather, cold as shit when I got it back whenever I got it. Um, but, uh, and I, but I threw the 19 pound spring in the box in case he wanted it or whatever. So, and then I sold a 223 John Hancock bolt head or excuse me, nucleus bolt head. Um, sold my six BR barrel and I have a 223 barrel with less than a hundred, like sub 100 rounds down at that hammer. It's a 223 rim, 223 Remington. So it's not a comp. Or a wild, it's a 223 Remington. I'm gonna tell you right now, the Federal Gold Medal Match 77 grain uh, Match Kings and the Federal Gold Medal Match 73 grain Burgers, fucking hammer in this rifle. Um, so if you want to shoot factory ammo, this is the barrel to get. Um, and then uh, I have that still available, and that plus a Magnum uh, nucleus bolt head. Uh, for sale so that's two things i have for sale 223 barrel and the magnum bolt face and and then i've completely liquidated all hancock shit um unfortunately because i love the hancock and you know i shoot for pva but pva puts barrels in everything i got but i just there's no way i could sell the ai so with that i bought the wheels i'm paying for the uh um the paint restoration and then I also got a little froggy and I was like, well, let's make this thing a little bit louder. So I bought a Corsa Extreme uh, axle back uh, exhaust. Uh, it's, it's basically muffler's tip. It goes to, it connects to the, over the axle pipe. And then a uh, Corsa uh, off-road X pipe, which, man, if you can't, if you can't see that the Democrats are getting involved with everything, like I talked to Corsa, like you need to, cause I was trying to order straight from Corsa and they're like, you need to find a retailer that has these in stock because like the last month they've completely cracked down on us. And like, we're, we're not even, we're not even allowed to make them right now or we're not making them because of this shit. So I was like, son of a bitch, are you serious? Fuck that. Not only are they fucking with my guns or stuff, fuck on my car too. Shit. So the, if you don't know, the off-road X pipes are basically the mid pipe between the headers and the cat back that delete. That's why it's called off-road because it, it is technically illegal. But I've had an off-road X pipe or off-road Y pipe on literally every car that I've ever had with, you know, sports car. So it, it gets rid of catalytic converters. So you just tune out the you just tune out the uh, check engine light and you're done. So, um. Here's my phone. Let me see where my phone is. Here we go. All right. Uh, so today, I've got, I still got, I have a ton of ammo loaded for the Hancock, right? Dasher ammo, whether it be the 105 stuff and I have a little bit of the 95 stuff. Um, so I, what I did was, I was like, all right, well, if you remember me talking about it, I would take 
my ammo. I had this this dasher barrel spun for the AI to match the headspace of the Hancock, right? So I can literally, you know, if I decided if I got ammo loaded and I decided I want to shoot the AI instead of the Hancock, the barrel, the rifle wouldn't know the difference. Other than it is a 26 inch barrel on the AI instead of 27, so it's a little bit slower, but it's still the same like extreme spread. Um, and, uh, I did, however, when I shot it with a suppressor, the load, the grouping fell apart. So it was way bad. That's when I used the tuner to tune it back in. And then boom, it was still started back to shooting quarter inch groups on the AI from the Hancock ammo. Cause the ammo was obviously tailored for the, um, the Hancock. So what I did was, um, I, I'm, I got the break on the AI now. And before I had shot it with a brake, I've never shot that dasher barrel with a brake. It's always been the suppressor, right? Threw the brake on it. And what I did was I have, like I said, I have a whole bunch of the 105s uh, loaded up, 31.8 Varget and, you know, jump 1.780. I did a uh, seat and depth ladder test. So I started at 1.780 and I finished at like 1.75 six or something like that right well the first rounds of 780 was boom bug hole now the only difference from the last time i shot it was now it's got a brake on it set a suppressor that shows you it's like further proof that what's hanging on that barrel i.e a tuner a brake or a suppressor it changes your point of aim, well, I say point of aim, point of impact. I mean, it, it changes the grouping because of the harmonics of the barrel. Um, if I promise you, if I threw that suppressor on there, it'd go back to shooting like three quarter inch and inch groups. Uh, but with the brake on it, it shoots bug holes. Uh, but I was like, well, fuck, I've already got all this, this ladder test loaded up. Let's see how, uh, let's see how the rest of them shoot. So as I start progressing from 1.780 down, so for, uh, seated further into the case uh, for a bigger jump, uh, like the first the first three difference um, or shorter seating depths, the groups opened up a little bit. Or, or actually, they would be like two inside of each other, and then it'd throw a flyer at like maybe half inch. I mean, honestly, I could shoot that and be just fine, but me just being me, I, I want to shoot bug holes just for like a confidence thing, or it's fun to shoot little tiny groups or whatever. So I kept on going down the charge. Uh, I mean, down the, uh, the seat and depth, uh, test. And by the time I got to 1.7, hold on, I can look at it right here and tell you 1.762. It was back to one hole. And then down to 1.756, the shortest was, I mean, from the, the, the groups were the same. They're the exact same point of aim, point of impact. I was like, all right, this is what I'm doing. So I am going to take the rest of this ammo and I'm going to push the bullets back down to 1.762 or 61 really. And, uh, and then that's the new load. And you know, it feels good. I mean, the tuners work, no doubt about it. But if you if you have a, a if you have a group 
uh, or load that shoots quarter inch with the tuner or quarter inch without the tuner, which would you pick? I, if they shoot the same and only thing that is different is you got a, you know, a tuner on the end of the barrel, I'd rather not have it on there just because it's just one extra thing on it and uh, whatever. I, I would just, I'm not worried about my load changing now. Nothing. It is uh, because you've got a long gap of, you know, the bullet going out and nothing changing. So that's, that's where I'm at on it. So it feels good. It feels good to have that. I need to re-chrono it um, because seating the bullet in will change your speeds. I'm sure it's fine. It Maybe a little bit slower now. Maybe it's like around that 2900 because it was a 2915 before. So maybe around 2900, between 2900 and 2915. I'm sure the spreads are going to be, you know, the exact same. Um, and then I've also got a test loaded up, a charge weight test with the 109 Burger hybrids with uh, 8208. 8208 has worked so good with the lighter bullets. Let's see if it works a little bit heavier. Um, if it don't, it don't. I'm just, I, I had it and going to try them out. Uh, I was even more so um, intrigued on trying it out after this match because the wind was so bad and it blew that 95 around. If you got a five mile an hour or less, and especially 700 and in, those 95s, dude, it's so hard to beat them. There's no recoil. They are fast. You're sh I'm shooting them at like 31, 40. Um, they are hard to beat. They are. I mean, they shoot so good. But you know, you don't know what the wind is going to do. And I would rather have a a bullet that maybe a little bit heavier, that's going to buck the wind. When you're when you're talking five six mile an hour, there's not that big a difference um, wind wise between like 105s and the 95s. But when you up that wind, when you go, all right, you start plugging in a 12 mile an hour wind or 15 mile an hour wind, there's a gap. They start gapping out. So the, between the, in, you know, your wind calls with the 105s and definitely the 109s and the 95s. Um, but you know, you can't always expect five mile an hour or less in wind, even in the Southeast as the little winds we have, it, it's, you can't expect that. So, um, that's that's where I'm at with the AI. I've got I've got the 105 load fucking dialed. It's done. Um, and then uh, I'm gonna try some 109 to see what they because I've got like 800 of them. I'm gonna I'm gonna give them a go. So that's that. I'm gonna sell my 95s to CL. He's short. He loves those 95s and he's he's short on bullets. So I'm gonna sell them to him and probably just replace them with 105s or 109s. Anyway, that's enough of that. Let's get into the q and I'm 35 minutes in. We're just getting to the Q&A. Um, let's see. I've, what I did was I took screenshots from either email, Sniper's Hide, or the comments in the Podbean app. And uh, and that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm reading from. So, and by the way, disclaimer, I have not yet chosen a winner. I've read them all one time screenshot them haven't read them since i have no notes no thought i don't even remember what the questions were so i'm reading them this is straight off the cuff and then i have not chosen a winner i'm gonna choose the winner here with you guys all right first one is from lefty jason on uh sniper side he's he's always been a big supporter of the podcast so shout out to jason 
Let's see. Top now, now. Some of these have more than questions in them, so not not this one specifically. I don't think. Um, but other ones, they have other things to say along then their questions in there. I'm just going to read the whole message or comment. All right. Jason says, uh, top three scariest dudes on Sniper's Hide other than Theus and why? You're welcome to rank them in order and include where Theus falls in that order. All right. So he has, he has two questions and I'm going to read and answer this one. Then I'll read the second one. Top three scariest dudes. Fuck, the only one that scares me is, is Theus. Not because he's a scary person as much as his abilities of what he can do to you from where he is. From his office or his house or even his fucking phone. Um, I'm pretty sure he could steal the title to your house. That's, that's the kind of guy Theus is. Uh, the capabilities he has. Theus is uh, Theus Protov's good buddy of mine. Owner of Hoplite Arms. Had him on the podcast. Um, we're going to have to get him again whenever the rifles start to ship. We'll get Theus on again because, and hopefully he'll have a little bit better internet reception too. Um, but he, uh, Theus is awesome. Um, but other than him, well, he's number one, obviously, uh, scary in what way scary in as far as like physical capabilities, tactical capabilities. I know the German, I mean the German on snipers hide, he is, uh, he's kind of a mystery. Most, some people may know his story, but he's, uh, very affluent when we're talking about gear and he's, uh, definitely toted a rifle for service of country. Um, and, uh, he's the, he's the snob. He's the ultimate snob. I love the German. He's hilarious. He's a funny ass dude. Um, and, uh, he's the guy to go to if you have questions on night vision, on plate carriers, on, um, semi-autos on anything, anything involving, uh, like real world tactical use. The German is, is the guy to, to hit up on snipers hide. Uh, who else? Um, I, well, not to me, but I mean, maybe Frank, I mean, Frank, he's the, you know, Frank is, uh, 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 your typical North Northeast kind of guy. I love Frank. Frank's funny as shit. And, but he, uh, doesn't tolerate stupidity very well. I know that. And who can blame him? I mean, he deals with all of our dumb asses on a daily basis and has been since 2000, what, two, 2001. Um, and, uh, he'll ban you. He'll, he'll, he'll pull out that band hammer and knock you over the head with it. And, uh, or whatever, we'll have no no problem in flaming some dude for some stupid ass comment or opinion. Um, I don't a third. Who's the third? Who's scary? I mean, I don't know. I'm. I mean, those 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 three. If you count Theus as number one, I'd say those three, and for all for different reasons, mind you. Um, so I hope that one answers your question pretty good. So the second question is, does your wife ever tell you to shut up about guns or other subjects like mine does? Oh, no, not guns. Like, I mean, my wife, you got, I know I got to get her on and I'll get her on. But like I said in other previous episodes about this topic, you guys have got to step the fuck up. And give me topics, uh, um, Jack Master on Sniper's Hide, he, he has, um, 
But uh, you guys have got to chip in and give me some subjects for us to talk about because I talk to my wife all day, every day. I don't know what, I mean, do you guys want to hear like how we met, like personal shit? Um, I know you, I'll get her opinion on what's it like living with a guy that shoots matches and does this shit. Yeah, that's fine, but that'll last for, you know, a couple of minutes, but y'all got to give me some fucking feedback. Y'all got to give me some shit to talk about with her and, uh, and I'll have her on, but, uh, and I will ask her this question. So this is one thing I'll ask, but do, do I think that she, no, not really. Sometimes she'll say, I, I wasn't listening, but she doesn't tell me to shut up. Only time she tells me to shut up is if I'm telling her a story and I'm sure you guys can relate. Listen to my podcast is I will rabbit trail and, and she's like, oh my God, get to the fucking point, David. And I can't halfway blame her, but, uh, but no, she, you know, she loves that. I do this. She doesn't give a damn about guns or shooting. She has no desire to do it, but she, she's glad and likes that I do because it makes her feel safer. I mean, believe me, she doesn't hunt either, but she damn sure loves eating deer meat. So she's glad I hunt. Um, she knows this helps me become a, a better hunter. Um, and, uh, she, uh, you know, likes that I have a hobby and it's a healthy hobby. It's expensive, but she, it's a healthy hobby. It's not, you know, fucking snorting heroin off of dead hookers asses or something like that. So, I mean, she's, a, she likes that I, she does her things and I do mine. Um, but no, she doesn't tell me to shut up and talking about it. Cause I don't really talk to her. I'm all like, Hey, look, I did this today with a gun. She'll ask me at a match, like, how'd you do today? Oh, I'm sorry. Or, oh, good job. Or, or, you know, whatever. Or, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Whatever. She's happy for me. But in reality, does she give a shit? I don't know. But, you know, that's, that's kind of our relationship on that. So, uh, Jason, appreciate the question. Let's see. Um, okay. Here's one from, on the Podbean app from Gil P. Uh, question for Q and episode, maybe not the coolest question, but I would genuinely like to know the answer to this. My brother has this big ass dog named pork chop. <laughs> all right. First of all, I'm gonna stop there. The name is kick ass. Like, I don't care if this dog is piece of shit. The name pork chop is kick ass. I had a, a, a black solid black Belgian Malinois named cat. I named her catfish and I had another two of them named boondock. I thought those were two cool ass, cool ass names. Some people are like, why the fuck did you name your dog Catfish? I'm like, because that's the most like gangster shit ever. You can name a dog Catfish. And when I sold her to uh, New Hampshire Police Department, they renamed her to fucking Xena. Mind you, Xena did not fit her personality at all because this bitch was not a warrior princess. There's a reason why I sold her instead of kept her and bred her. But uh, Catfish was a more fitting name. Anyway, back to pork chop here. Uh, let's see. He's about 140 pounds. That's a, that's a horse. Uh, and looks like a cross between a pit bull and a great Dane, which he is probably either a, uh, Presa Canario or Canario, however you want to say it, or a Cane Corso, which would be, or uh, maybe, eh, I don't think he's a Borble. Um, any of those Mastiff breeds, that's, they're all Mastiff breeds, Mossler breeds. They, that's, it's probably like a, a Cane Corso. I've worked tons of presses and corsos at my club in Maryland because we had a bunch of them, and now they're all gone um, for a reason that I can talk about or not. Um, 
The problem is if you want the dog to do something and it doesn't want you to do it, it knows it doesn't have to do it. If you try to force the dog, he will fight you and has bitten someone before. The person he bit wasn't the owner and did antagonize Porkchop. He's a good dog, very protective. He almost killed a pit bull protecting my brother's friend from it. He's so protective that when a small German Shepherd approached my brother, Porkchop picked the German Shepherd up with his jaws, ragdolled him. My brother had to fight to get Porkchop off of him. What can he do to discipline the dog? Now, okay. I had this very same type of dog, uh, personality dog, Django. Um, Django would, it was a type of dog. He was super chill um, when he was happy. Uh, basically, you letting him do what he wanted to do or have what he wanted to have. Uh, but as soon as you either tried to make him do something you didn't want him to do, or tried to not let him do something that he did want to do, you were going to fight. And that was a learned behavior. Now, I got Django at, was he six years old when I got him? I, I know I've mentioned him on the podcast. Django's story was a little 100-pound woman in Holland uh, raised him. And this is very common in Europe. The, uh, you'll have... People don't have a whole kennel, but they'll go. They'll test a puppy, select a puppy, raise a puppy to a young dog, sell the dog, make some money off of it. Right? They enjoy the training part of it. It's kind of like a hobby thing to make a little money on the side. Um, and that's what she did with Django. Now, mind you, at the time, then this dog would never cross an eye at this woman. Okay? She sold him to a buddy of mine, Jeff Franklin, Cobra Canine in Tennessee. And then uh, Jeff had him, great dog, loved him, said he was he was a one percenter type dog, amazing dog. Sold the dog to the guy was a cop. I don't know if he was a, a handler or not. Like I don't know if Django was supposed to be on the department or not, but I know the guy was a, a police officer. Which mind you, even if he was a dog handler means dickus it don't mean shit because when we had cops come in they either either they had a dog prior to that or they were getting their first dog from us it's like race car drivers and pilots they know how to operate the plane or the car but they don't know how to build it or fix it right if you got if you took uh Denny Hamlin, if that is, I don't watch NASCAR, so I think that's a, a name that I know, or you know, anybody. And you said, all right, build your race engine. Nine times out of ten, he's going to look at you like you uh, like a cow licking a new gate. He ain't he don't know what the fuck, like you ask him the square root of some shit. Like, he ain't going to fucking know and not understand why you're asking him to do that because he don't know. That's not his job. His job is to drive the shit out of the car, Okay. Uh, a pilot. Now, I was an F-15 uh, mechanic. If I asked any of these pilots before they went and got in to fly a sortie or whatever like that, and I said, hey, look, I need you to change the main fuel control on the en- on the uh, number one engine, they're going to be like, the what? Or, I don't know how to fucking do that. That's your job. I don't know how to do that. I know- can you fly this thing? No, I cannot. I can run it, but I can't fly it. Right. That's my job. Your job is to fix it. That's what they would say. Okay. The same thing. Now, the caveat to that is, I'm sure there is a NASCAR driver right now 
that could build or fix or work on their their stock car. I'm sure there is. There's probably more than one. There's a lot of NASCAR drivers. Um, I'm sure there's one or two, but they are far from the 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 rule. They are the exception. The same goes with police uh, um, service dog handlers. Okay, if you got ten of them, maybe one knows what he's talking about as far as dog behavior, uh, shaping behavior, teaching new things. Right. So I'm not saying all handlers don't know shit. I'm saying the general rule, they don't know shit other than how to operate the dog. We build the dog. We hand the keys over to the dog. They drive the dog, right? They're drivers. That's what they do. A few of them know how to work the dog. Okay. So he, the handler gets this dog. Six months later, Django puts this Bama in a hospital. He calls Jeff up. Jeff, I need to send this dog back to you. I'm in the hospital. I can't have this fucking dog. And, and Jeff was blown away. Like, what the fuck? Like, you, what did you do? And we get the dog. He gets the dog back. Django is not the same dog that left. Now Django is always looking for a fight. I'm not saying he was always easy, a super passive, um, a dog, a super easy trainable dog that like Major is. Major is the most trainable dog I have ever one of the most trainable dogs I've ever worked with. Not the most, but one of the most. Major would never bat an eye at me. He would never put teeth on me. Django, however, at that point when Jeff got him back, would literally fuck your shit up sideways over uh, looking at him wrong. Right? It was a rank thing. He realized what we think, what me and Jeff think happened was this guy, before a real bonding process was... um, Jeff's calling me right now. Jeff Tripp is calling me right now. Let me just text him and say, recording, call you back, homie. All right. Yeah, they're up in, um, him and CL are up in Pennsylvania shooting a match, the war match. So anyway, so um, where was I? Um, Django, it was the, Kind of the opposite of that. It was 100% a dick measuring contest. And he really thought he had a fucking horse's dick. So he was that alpha male personality to where he learned that. And we think this is what happened. We think that this guy before having a bonding process where, you know, Django was like, oh, okay, this this guy's my buddy. This guy's my partner. I need to listen to him. We're a team. We're thinking he tried to pull some stupid bullshit, maybe like the, some that alpha role, if you've ever heard of that. That is the dumbest shit ever. You're either going to ruin a dog or you're going to get fucked up. Okay, just so you know, don't try that shit. So we're thinking something like that happened or he cut an eye at him and the guy, all this is all it takes to sow the seed is that guy would be back up. He'd just back up a little bit and Django was like, huh. All I did was look at him. Maybe I showed, maybe showed a little bit of teeth or something like that. And this guy bitched out. So I'm sure he kept doing it, right? So if if Django had his ball, that's his. You're not taking it from him. You're not. So if this guy would try to take the ball from him or whatever he had, food, super aggressive or food, everything, he learned that if he showed the slightest bit of aggression. He would go away. He would stop. Well, it probably happened to where he called, he thought Jenga over time, thought Jenga was bluffing. 
and he caught him on his bluff. And then Django showed him. He escalated because, hey, that didn't work. I'm going to have to up the ante. And he ended up just fucking this dude shit up sideways. And then Jeff got him back, said he's not the same dog that he was. Took him to the seals for testing. And mind you, he'd been at this point, he had been sitting in a kennel for almost a year. Kennel rust, out of shape, whatever. Overweight, a little bit. Not like he wasn't a fucking gigantic fat dog, but he was, was overweight. And he would gas out easy. Uh, but he had been sitting in the year, uh, kennel for a year. Took him to the seals for testing and selection. Um, I know Wayne Dodge is head of um, testing and selection for all uh, seal program dogs. Wayne is literally... He is God when it comes to decoys and testing a dog, period. He is, Wayne is God. Um, and they said, look, we love this dog. He's 89 pounds. We need a dog a lot smaller than that. Preferably around the 69 pound dog. Because this Bama is too big to jump out of fucking airplanes tethered to handlers. But other than that, he passed the test. He was that dog. Now, mind you, SEAL, SEAL program dogs are the top 1% dogs in the world. Okay? They are the elite of the elite, just like just like Navy SEALs are. Um, the, they, they truly are. If it's a dog that's a military working dog, that doesn't mean shit. If it's a tier one group, their dog, that dog is, that dog is the truth. Okay? That dog is the real deal. Just know that. Now, I'm not saying there's not good dogs in normal military service. That's not true. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that that does not mean immediately that that dog is what people think he is, right? Or as good as people would expect him to be, right? So, um, but anyway, took him to the Rangers. Same exact thing. We love the dog. He's He gasses out. He needs his cardio. He's out of shape. But he's too big to jump out of airplanes. So then he's sitting around with him. Didn't know what to do with him. I get him. And I knew what he was before I got him. Like, I knew what to expect. Like, this motherfucker is, means he's serious business. And it was a constant fight. I have, and I probably, I, I don't give a shit. Whoever's listening, I don't give a damn. I've literally just literally electrocuted the shit out of this dog with an e-collar be, to, to get compliance. Now, I'm not saying you do that because you, because the majority of people listening to this do not know how to use an e-collar. You can ruin a dog. It can be unfair. It can be bad. So don't just immediately go and throw an e-collar on a dog and thinking you're going to fix whatever problem you have. But if you know how to do it, it's a good tool. I've had to hang Django until he was unconscious because he didn't want to go. The biggest fights we had was going in crates and going into kennels because he wanted to fight. He about took my fingertip off through the kennel one time, putting him away when I first got him. And I knew it was going to be a fight. Um, uh, ball, getting a ball from him. And yeah, we, he's bit me. I can't tell him times he's bit me, but every time he bit me, I fucking won because he woke up and I was standing over top of him or he woke up and he was inside the fucking kennel. If you don't know how to do this, then you're, you're kind of up shit's Creek. Unless you have a trainer nearby that knows what they're doing. This is a learn, more than likely a learned behavior because I doubt Porkchop has been this way his entire life. This is more likely a learned behavior because he's big, he's scary looking, he knows it. All he has to do majority of the time is to be a little bit vocal, 
cut an eye, do that little whale eye where they look at it, turn their head, but look at you from the side. We call it the whale eye. Uh, because obviously whales have their eyes on the side of their head. Um, they, that is sometimes all it takes for them to get what they want. A little, and then you back the fuck up, done. You, you are his bitch now because he knows that's what he, that aggression is what gets him what he wants. Now, you run the risk of getting fucked up by trying to fix that. But the only things that you tender love and care with a doll like that ain't going to do shit. This is going to do nothing. A dog like that, especially one as big and scary and, and, and dangerous as a dog like that is, or could potentially could be, uh, that you are running the risk of getting bit. Now, if your brother, um, Gil, is okay with the idea of I might get bit here, and I know that this is a lot of dog, that obviously anytime this needs to be set up, and you need it needs to be done by a professional, honestly. Being real, it needs to be done by a professional. But it needs to be done with a professional, multiple people there. Because you taking a 140-pound dog off of you that wants to be on you and buy, and putting teeth on you, you it's everybody's having a bad day. Everybody involved is having a bad day. Um, but that you're gonna run that risk. You better be lightning fast and, and be quick with the hands, quick with the leash. Everything needs to be done on leash with a choker, a real choker, a Herm Springer grade choker. Um, and you need, you need a team. You need one, you actually need two lines. You need one line connect to a flat collar on the dog. And then you need one line that the, um, handler, your brother or whoever's taking, whoever's handling the dog needs to have that line on the choker. And you need to be having that person holding the other line on the flat collar, preferably a long line, like a 20 foot horse lead or something like that to be a no. Hey, if he starts coming forward, you're pulling back away and then I'm going to pull the other way. And then you're playing tug of war with the dog. And that way he stays in the middle. You don't want him going one way or, or the other on whoever it is holding the leash. You got to keep him in the middle so he calms down. But what the, Brass tax is the dog needs his shit fucked up and realize that this is not okay. This behavior is bad for you. This means bad stuff for you. This is not fun. This is not in your favor to behave this way and to show aggression. Okay. The dog aggression thing is natural. I doubt that he was protecting like your, was it your brother's friend from another dog um, or your brother. It was another dog. And so, and especially a bigger dog. Major is the most dog aggressive dog, non game dog that I have ever seen. And believe me, if another dog came up towards us, if it was a like a, a dog his size or, or close to his size, he's not going to kill that dog or fuck with that dog because of me. He's going to do it because he wants to. So, it, so just don't be under any illusion. I'm not saying pork chops not a protective dog or a good dog. I'm just saying that that's 99% of what's going on. Um, but my honest opinion, I know you're not going to hear this. Your brother's not going to hear this, but you need a professional, a professional dog trainer, like not a pet obedience trainer that you go to pet smart or even they just do obedience. None of that shit, because those people don't know they, they, they work with little bullshit dogs. They do not know how to deal with a 140 pound monster. Okay. They don't, you need someone who knows and trains working dogs and trains hard dogs. Um, if Gil, if you're listening to this, if you want to send me a message somewhere or comment again and say, Hey, uh, my brother's located here, 
I may know somebody in his general vicinity. Um, but the dog has to learn that that is not advantageous for him to do when he's in a, put in a situation where he's not getting his way. And that's that because that's all it is. It's I'm pulling my dick out. And to me from here, mine's bigger than yours. That's what the dog is doing. And he knows that I'm going to get my way if I do this because I'm big and scary. The question is, is when the time gets pushed, does that dog quit? Say, oh, all right, well, the bluff didn't work and it's, it is what it is. It ain't that bad. Because that, that could be a case, too, to where no one gets bit, which you hope that's what it is. You could have the other side of that, which is the dog. All right, well, cool. You bout it. Let's 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 take care of this right now and, and figure out who's who. And and then that's when your brother's going to have a bad day. Um, so I'm hoping I'm hoping that helps. I'm being long winded in these, but I'm trying to give good, um, uh, good answers to these to make it worth it. Cause I'd love to do this again. This is fun. Um, all right. This is from shit. I don't even see who that's from. Will. I don't know which will. I didn't see a screen name cause I took the screenshot and cut it out. David, love the podcast. I find myself laughing quite a bit going to and from work while listening. Sorry for this being long as fuck, but oh well. It'll be like some of your two-hour podcasts with a winky face. Yes, yes. I hope you enjoy the two-hour podcast. Uh, because some of your first, because of some of your first podcasts and your message of it being a community, I'm going to shoot my first match ever in less than two weeks. Awesome. I don't currently reload, so I might not get a chance to do many matches this year, but super stoked about giving this a shot. I'd love to shoot a match with you. If I can get some ammo together, I'm kind of a quiet person out. Oh, excuse me. I missed the period there. If I can get some ammo together. I'm kind of a quiet personality, but can get loose around the right people, if you know what I mean. I'm in Richmond, Virginia, so perhaps the Guardian at Pig River in October. All right, we're not squatted up yet, but yes, I am shooting the Pig River Guardian in October. My deepest condolences about Bosco. Your enthusiasm when you spoke about him is all I need to know about you to know you are a good dude. I'd rather spend time with my dogs more than most people. Uh, finally, to the question, I'm also a father, so this is one to make you think a bit. What one or two traits that your parents passed on to you would you most instill in Jack's? And... How do you plan on teaching him? All the best, Will. Will, killer question, quiller, killer uh, message. I, I really appreciate it, Will. Um, it's kind of tough. From my dad, I'm not going to get into this the whole podcast of relationship with my dad. You guys kind of got an idea of talking about my dad with cars about <laughs> uh, neither here nor there. The biggest thing that I've honestly taken from my dad is when I was a kid, the two, these are two things that when I was a kid, I did not know this cause I was like five or six years old. So obviously you don't know shit at five or six years old, but, uh, we got into some real financial troubles and we were broke, broke as like shit. And right before Christmas, my mom and dad didn't have money to get Christmas gifts for us. Me and my sister obviously didn't want us to know about it. My family, my mom's mom's one of nine kids. So my aunts and uncles chipped in to help us for Christmas. I found this out when I was like 18 years old, 19 years old. Um, but I watched my dad grind. My dad has a ninth grade education. I don't even know if he even finished ninth grade. My dad's dad, my grandfather died when my dad was nine years old. 
he then went and started picking cotton at nine years old and also working in a basket weaving store or something. Um, hard work and doing what is necessary to make it and provide. Like that's a work ethic. Don't expect nothing handed to you, which uh, that's hard to say. I just got handed a Mustang GT, you know, or Shelby GT 500. Um, but as far as make, making your way in life, don't expect anyone to hand you anything and grind. My dad's a grinder. That man worked. He missed almost all my baseball games growing up. He missed all my soccer games. Um, and all my sports because you know why he was working he wasn't a deadbeat he knew that to put food on the table and for us to live a comfortable life he had to sacrifice and he had to work his ass off and he did my dad's 75 now i'm running the business now and it kills him not because he doesn't trust me running the business because that's what he loved to do was work and he he literally physically can't now he's he he comes in office for a grand total of about 30 minutes a week total um hard work also and the most important thing and i have preached this to anyone who will listen the wisest thing my dad has ever told me is son take care at a young age mind you i knew this at like 14 13 14 years old before it mattered but it instilled it in me and then i've held on to it ever since take care of your credit score a good credit score is better than cash. It is. And in the business that I'm in, I've realized that to be true. When you're younger, you you don't think about like, ah, well, I just pay this whatever. I don't care if it's late. They're not going to come and, you know, whatever. As long as, that, you know, I pay a little bit here. No. Pay your fucking bills on time, in full, not like to what you owe each month. I was 18, had no credit, no nothing so I went at 18 years old. I had the wherewithal based on my dad's wisdom is to, I went to like American Eagle, I think, and got American Eagle store credit card. I would buy clothes that I had money for. I'd put it on the card. I'd go home and pay what I'd pay off the same day or what I just charged. Um, did that. And, and other stores, stuff like that, doing it on, literally doing it just to build credit. And, you know, you just go from there. Loans, bought my first car, brand brand new car on my own, 19 years old, um, right before I went to the military. Brand new car, paid, well, not paid for it in full, but financed it, paid the bills, um, kept it for a few years, sold it, paid it off. Okay. Um, and then now, I mean, I could go to a bank now and finance an entire apartment building if I wanted to, because I pay my fucking bills. It is important to pay your fucking bills, your credit score. And there's adults. I've had my guy cut my hair last week. I got a haircut. He was 36, 37 years old. No credit at all. Nice clean cut guy. He says, I've always paid cash everything. I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. I just, I don't, I never financed anything. I don't have credit. I'm, I'm just now learning about credit. And so I talked to him about it and he was asking me questions and all this stuff. And so there's adults my age and older that still do not understand the concept of credit. Credit is simple. Credit is your word. If I come over to you and say, Hey, look, 
can I borrow a hundred 105 burgers? And I've got an order coming in. Um, it's just back ordered, but it'll be here. They're telling me it's going to be here in uh, May. Can I, I got a match coming up. Can I borrow 100, 100, 100 uh, 105 burgers to shoot a match with? Yeah, Dave, sure. Just give me those 105s that come in and we're good. Okay. You give me the bullets. I shoot the bullets in a match. May comes around. You don't hear from me. June rolls around. Hey, man, I'm getting kind of low on 105s. You got any, you got those bullets yet? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're coming in soon. Um, a few more, a few more weeks roll around. Hey, do those 105s come in? Yeah, I got them. I, I, I'll get them to you. Uh, I'll, I'll see you. I'll see you, you know, maybe this week or something like that. And you end up never getting my 105. So what does that mean? My credit with you, my uh, creditation, I don't know what's the word I want to use. My credibility, credibility, not credit, credibility with you is probably shit at this point. You're like, man, I get that motherfucker 100, uh, 105 burgers, knowing this bullet shoulder jump in that we're all in, said he had some coming in in a month and a half, and then uh, here... Three months later, I got nothing. I'm not letting him borrow shit for me anymore. That's what the banks look at. They look at that, and then that's your your credit score is a word. That's the thing. People talk about racism, institutional racism. Your credit score don't know what fucking color you are. It don't know what your your gender is. It don't don't know nothing about you other than your word. Do you do you pay back the money that you said that you would pay back when you borrowed it? Did you do it in time? Did you do it in the agreed time in the agreed amount? No. Well, then your 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 name isn't that good. Your word isn't that good. Your credit score now sucks. It's a simple concept, but people don't realize the importance. My dad said, if it means pay a bill and don't eat, pay the bill. You can find some food. Somebody will give you some food, but no one's going to pay that bill for you. It's so simple. I mean, that's such a simple concept, but it rings so true. So credit, hard work, good work ethic. I'm already, I'm already instilling that in Jackson now. Not necessarily credit because he doesn't understand shit, a concept of money really yet, other than he does like to save money, which is good. Um, but uh, it's, uh, now CL's calling me. Um, yeah, so that's the biggest two things for my, and for my mom. I don't know, be a good person, be nice to everybody, you know, until you got a really, really good reason not to be, I guess. I don't know. And my mom is just, there's never really, she's just all around be a good person. And I believe most good parents try to teach their kids that today they fail miserably. Um, but you know, I, I don't really have a certain, you know, family, like family first family. Mom, that's my mom. My mom is straight up family ride or die family over everything. And I mean, that's something that I guess also people today don't really, uh, prioritize. Um, I see it on a daily basis, given in my line of work with apartment stuff, I see kids and their parents get the fuck out of here. Don't come back in until you know, I won't time myself and don't know what their kids are doing. Uh, people steal from their family, all, all kind of shit. I mean, so just putting family first. So I, I hope, and I hope I teach, I hope I teach Jax those things, not from my mouth, but from my actions. He's kids. What I've always been told and what I've always see in notice ring true is that kids, they learn lessons more 
from no words at all from watching more so than you telling them. And I'm guilty of having talks with Jax. I've always talked to Jax like he was a grown adult since he was two years old. And that's why he's been speaking like an adult since he was two years old. Um, but so I know I talk over his head a lot, but I still know I, I hit him from both angles. I hit him from verbally talking to him, what's going on in school, what's going on jujitsu about what he did, what he needs to work on, what he did. Awesome. Um, all that stuff, but then also show him, I sh- I'll show him what I want to learn without saying a thing like, Hey, watch what I'm doing. Learn this. I don't have to say that he actually learns it better and, and, uh, and absorbs it better. If I just do it while he's watching rather than saying, explaining what I'm doing. Cause then it's like, Oh, he didn't mean to teach me that. That's, that's legit, right? That's just coming natural to him to do. So that's, that's how I, I plan to teach. Honestly, most things that can be taught that way, respect for, uh, for ladies, I open doors for my wife and other late strangers, even men, strangers. I open doors for everybody. I'll be the one sitting at a door for like five minutes because more people just keep coming in and I just don't let the door go. I just hold the door up for them. But ladies, let mommy order dinner first. When we go to dinner, I don't order before my wife. I let her or when the, when the, if the waitress makes a mistake as a waitress by looking at me, sir, what would you like? And I, I'll, I'll just hold my hand up and point towards my wife. Like, Honey, what would you like? Court, what you want? And then she'll, oh, and then she'll look over to her like, yeah, dumbass. Like you're supposed to fucking ask her first. Um, but, uh, just things like that, uh, still showing affection to my wife, hugs, kisses, um, you know, whatever, playing, picking, whatever. I didn't see that with my mom and dad. Like I've never seen my mom and dad kiss, rarely seen them hug. I've never, I never saw that, but I know that that's something that is supposed to happen in a loving relationship. And I want Jax to see that. And I'm, I, I'd make it a, I don't do gross stuff. I'm just saying like, you know, just, Hey honey, go there and give her a kiss on the cheek. How was your day today? Um, you know, whatever we'll tickle fight on the couch and I'll, bring Jackson and throw him in on the, on the dog pile. And well, it's a big family thing. And that's, those are teaching him things that he doesn't even know he's learning. And those are sometimes the most important lessons. So appreciate it. Will good question. All right. This is from Gamecock 525 on sniper side. Sorry to hear about Bosco. I've got a 13 year old lad. That's been my hunting dog. We got her at 10 weeks. She's starting to show her age, and I know that day will be coming sooner than later, and I'm definitely uh, not looking forward to it. We've got two questions for the podcast. One, with ammo shortage, even in rimfire, I'm committed to upping my dry fire game, but I need some guidance on what what a really good dry fire practice routine looks like. I know it does no good to pull the trigger just for pulling's sake. Don't get me wrong, rubbing one out every now and again is totally necessary and a good, pretty good time, but those sessions aren't really building any skill. Uh, agreed. Can you recommend a solid dry firing routine and what one should really be looking for feeding, focusing on during, I got a screenshot during those sessions. Uh, he's, he's got another one. We're going to go, we'll go go do this, this one first, uh, dry fire. Yes. Um, uh, I had now you don't have to do it this way, but I suggest it because it does make it easier, more pleasurable, more realistic. Get an indoor dry firing training system. I've talked about this multiple times. Get this thing 
They've got two different ones now, or actually two different competition ones. They even got a hunting one. Uh, I do wish the targets, they had more smaller targets, like more one and a half and one MOA targets. But the majority of them are two MOA. Now, the majority of your targets that you shoot in a match are at least two MOA, like positional ones. Most of the time, they are two MOA or bigger. But the smaller targets that you practice on, the better you will be at the larger targets. I mean, a two MOA target, you practice on a one MOA target, a two, two and a half MOA target will look like a goddamn beach ball out there, which makes it easier for you. The more you learn to steady the rifle on a smaller point of aim, the easier the larger targets will be. Um, and I have seen that exponentially in dry firing. Now, things to do. Yes, you can do the same thing with a little dot on the wall. Like, and then get like a, if your if your scope can um, parallax to where it's a clear picture, um, great. If not, the lens that comes with the indri- indoor dry firing training system works awesome. There's a, a bunch of different, there's a few different ones that you can choose from, but this one I recommend. Um, but you can look through a match your a match booklet um, of a match you shot. Find a stage that you can kind of replicate in your house or whether it be outside on a real target or whatever, that's even better. Um, and, and, and replicate it. Okay. Whether it be a PRS skill stage. Okay. A skill stage. Yes. It's the same thing every time. Yes. It's easy. Yes. All these things, but the skill stage does build skills. If you can, you know, run a skill stage on an even smaller target, than a two and a half MOA target, then you can shoot standing. You can shoot kneeling. So those are a lot of, I mean, the majority of positions you shoot in. So practicing that on that barricade does help. Now, if you can vary those heights even better, um, I struggle on the really low kneeling ones. Uh, you're bent over to get a good natural point of aim, keeping your spine in line with the, the bore and uh, keeping your shoulders square. Those really low ones, you almost catch yourself always holding your breath because you're using a lot of your core muscles. Um, uh, practice on those. But also, not only that, you can work on just position building where you don't even pull the trigger. You don't even have, It's good to pull the trigger because then that gives you a a definite point in time to where your clock ends, but you don't have to pull a trigger to do this exercise. It's basically having the position completely broke down, timed, start, boop, go, put the bag down, rifle down, get on target, get still and steady, break the shot. You don't have to break the shot. You can know when you're still and steady, but break the shot. It don't cause anything. Good trigger pull. You will know if you pull the trigger off the target. Uh, you, you, so no, you can't replicate wind, but you can, uh, you can definitely um, know when. Oh man, I broke when you know I was holding 0.2 mils on the right side, and it broke, and I was right at like 0.4 mils because you know movement, uh, you know reticle movement. So it's very valuable. Um, but also be conscious of each trigger pull itself, that you're pulling it with a 90 degree trigger finger, that you're pulling it straight to the rear, that you're breaking it where you want it and you're not holding your breath, breathing. I, I'll do that. I'll do basically position building, uh, just to practice my breathing to make sure that I am 
breaking the shot at the bottom of my uh, breathing cycle. These are break down everything into segments and the the minutia where, I mean, it's the dry fire is the time to do that. You don't need wind. You don't need recoil. You don't need any of this, these things to do and to perfect these things, to, per, to perfect these concepts. But I think a really underrated one and a really good one to do is literally just how fast can you build a, a steady position and break a shot off from scratch? And then as soon as you do it, boom, you're done. Start it over. Pull the rifle off, pull the bag off, step back however far, time, boom, set the rifle up, break the shot. Um, that Those are some, some good dry firing stuff that I do that I feel help. I love them. Uh, the second question, I grew up playing competitive golf too. I was recruited to play D2 because I never practiced my short game enough to be able to go really uh, to go really low. Ended up getting burnt out and ultimately wanted to go to a big college anyway. Now as a middle-aged dad bod, I still sit around a five handicap, uh, but I might just get motivated enough to focus and try to shave off the last few. What do you estimate your handicap to be in precision rifle if there was such a thing? Let's say the top competitors were scratch golfers. For those who don't know in anything about golf, scratch golfers is zero handicap, which meaning if it is a par 72 course, you average 70, like your average is 72. You average par. If it's a par four, ball goes in the hole in the fourth shot on your putt, right? Um, it's par five, you get it in five, right? Uh, so that's scratch. Um, are you a better golfer or shooter? Oh, that's tough. Um, I don't know. My golf game and my shooting game are actually pretty similar. The majority of the mistakes I make are, and I've done well recently, but the majority of my career of shooting and golf, majority of my mistakes were mental mistakes. Letting the mistakes that I did, the bad stages, the bad holes, the bad shots, the bad golf shots affect my next golf shot or my next putt or my next, you know, uh, positional rifle shot. It, so they're very, very similar. Um, you know, I played for a junior college. I hit the long ball. I mean, but my game, my mental game, if, if I was shooting good, I was good. If I, you know, had an issue, then I was, uh, I was going to pay for it. So, um, what would my handicap be? I don't know. Five, maybe. Eight handicap? I don't know. It's hard to be honest about that without empirical data in front of you, but I, that I do not know. Um, my son just decided to uh, appear. Hello, son. What can I help you with? What did I tell you about? My daddy's doing a podcast. This is your podcast debut. This is recording right now, buddy. So everybody that's going to listen to my podcast is going to hear your voice right now. You'll say, come here closer so you can go to the microphone and say, hey to everybody. Hey. <laughs> What do you want? You want batteries in that spider, that uh, remote control spider? Thing is terrifying. Um, I will do that as soon as I'm done with the podcast. I'll be down there to help you. Okay. Give me a kiss. Give me a smooch. Mwah. All right, go down. Room. I'll go. Yeah, I'll yeah, go in the living room. Yep. Or no, no, you go downstairs. You can't be up here. Daddy says, uh, "Where are hurts? Go downstairs. Close the door. Go." Go downstairs. I love you. Bye. Bye. Close the door behind you, please. Stay downstairs. You don't need to be hearing this stuff. Okay, it's okay. 
Go to, go upstairs and play. Go upstairs and play in your playroom. Go now. Peace out. Sorry, guys. Um, I might edit that out. I might not. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, my handicap. I mean, probably like I said, five to ten handicap. I don't know how that even correlates over to shooting as far if that's even um, comparable as far as uh, the handicap system goes. Uh, not scratch. Um, obviously I haven't won anything. I haven't top 10, nothing. Um, I've top 20 before, but that's, you know, it, um, never, never top 10 anything. So is that, a plus 10 handicap or plus 20? I mean, do you base it off of your, um, your normal percentage? I, I, I don't know. Maybe you could do that. Maybe you could take an average of percentage of your targets hit in a match and then figure that out and then figure out what, like in golf, what percentage? I don't know. We somebody could figure it out. Um, so uh, who was that? That was Gamecock. Appreciate it, Gamecock. And let's see. This is I'm not all right. On Podbean app. CXJV6SYT7T. I have a hard time believing you picked that uh, username or account or whatever. It's probably some automated crap, and you didn't want to. You just listen to podcast. Um, anyway, whoever you are, uh, let's see, what was your worst moment in a match and how could it have been prevented? What was your best moment, your best moment and how could you duplicate it? Whoa, that's, uh, that's a tough one. Worst moment in a match, man, that's a long list and all, I think equally crap. So a couple ones that come to mind, worst moment. Was oh okay? You want to do shooting or worst moment? Just personally, personally was what I had mentioned that happened in a VPRC match, I believe. Um, I think I mentioned, yeah, I did. Um, the VPRC match back last summer, uh, I lost my temper and um, threw my bag after it was a stupid mistake. I in the easiest stage I believe I've ever shot in my life, prone out of the helicopter prairie dogs at like a stone's throw and it was the i mean everybody was cleaning them and i was like oh my god this is so easy i'm gonna clean the show this i zeroed it because i couldn't see the mirage was so bad i could not see i did catch i don't think i zeroed it maybe i got like a one or two and i figured it out uh but i finally saw one dig like 20 yards in front of the target i had dialed the wrong dope it was supposed to be like 0.8 or 1.8, and I dialed 0.8, or something like that, and uh, that was, um, and then after that, I just lost, so fucking frustrated myself, that I, like, threw my bag, RO got on me, I kind of talked shit back to the RO, it's, I mentioned in an episode, it was not my finest moment, I felt bad, I apologized to the RO the next day, Um, I shouldn't have done that, that was not, that's not me, that's what made it bad, if I always had threw my shit around and had a bad temper, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be mentioning it, because it'd be the normal, that's not me, Um, and for some reason that, because, I think it was because it was so easy, and it was so cleanable, and a a stage to to catch up on some some errant shots prior, uh, and I blew it because of a stupid mental mistake of not having the right dope dialed on my gun. Um, I, I was, I mean, I was only mad at myself. I was mad at nobody else. There was no fault but mine. I was so angry at myself. And the good thing is, and maybe this could be tied into a best moment. The very next stage, I did not because I, I knew I need to calm down and not let it 
uh, affect the next stage. The very next stage, I dropped like one shot on some rocks. Like uh, it was like five different giant boulders, pointy boulders. And the very next stage, and I think I dropped one, maybe two shots. And it was more so not because I got an eight or nine on it, but because I had a mental recovery. That might have been like my finest moment, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. A few cleans. Um, this past weekend, you heard me mention about uh, uh, the uh, Pig River match, how I made a bad choice. And this wasn't a mental mistake. It was just a bad decision on a the truck bed stage. And um, I uh, didn't. I wasn't steady at all. And I zeroed the stage. Um, that was a bad moment, but a really good moment was last summer, I believe, or summer before last, same at, at Pig River in the same exact Chevrolet Z71 truck bed. I cleaned the stage. Like it was the same exact stage, but the targets were actually back to that same distance, about 700 yards, 650, 700. I cleaned that stage. Um, and, uh, so, I mean, I don't know, best moment, worst moment. That's a comparison there. Um, Let's see. Um, let's go to the next one. Are you going to make it to the War Rifles match this year? Uh, question for the Q&A episode. What's your favorite radical? Uh, no, that's going on right now. CL and Jeff are there. I am here back home. And then uh, favorite radical. Favorite radical, I think, is the MR4 radical from Minox. It is, to me, a really clean radical that... Um, it doesn't clutter. It gives you a ton of information that you need, but doesn't give you a whole bunch of information that you don't in the reticle. Um, and uh, that I'm really digging. Um, CL is just ordered a, a zero compromise with the Impact 2 reticle. The Impact 3 reticle is hot garbage. I'm sorry for all the uh, you guys that spent $3,600, dollars on a scope with that reticle and you love it. I, I'm, I love that you love it. Uh, I, for one... And CL agreed too. I for one hate that reticle. The little round circles, don't like them at all. There's a lot I don't like about that reticle. All the crap at the top for milling and stuff. And given what we're doing, the game we're playing at, we're never milling targets. Um, it's just extra stuff you don't need for you know the game that we play. And for the market that, that Z, I believe that Zero Compromise was was created for. Now, the, at least that, that reticle was created for. Now, if, you, if, if Zero Compromise comes on and says... Hey, that reticle is actually meant for more so military application. Da da da. Then I stand corrected. Then that that completely changes how I feel about that little milling tool and at the top of the uh, reticle. But the Impact Two reticle is a killer reticle. Like I'm in, zero compromise. I love you guys. I love the scope. Um, by all means, never get rid of the Impact Two. Uh, the Impact Two is killer. You guys knocked it out of the park with that. Keep making them. Or make a maybe a revision of, but something very similar to. Um, I don't even know what I would tell you to change on it. I really don't. I don't know what I would tell you to change on the Impact 2 reticle. I really like it. I'd say those two are my top two. And then the EBR7C um, in my Vortex. I, I don't have a thing to complain about it. I love it. I love the only thing is I do wish maybe the center dot was. I don't even know what it's measured at. Um, but if it was just like one one hair bigger uh, center dot. That would be cool. Just the center dot. The reticle thickness is fine, um, but the center dot, I, I mean, I love the reticle as a whole. 
Um, I could shoot that reticle for the rest of my time shooting and I'd be happy. Uh, I do just wish that the center dot was a little bigger. Um, let's see here. What's the next one? Uh, sadly not creative enough to come up with a question worthy of, uh, DDs or, I don't know, DDs or, or precision underground rifle, uh, or precision rear bag. Seems from listening to you that you are intrigued by the fundamental truths of precision rifle, not caught up in the PRS curse of relying on heavy rifles, light recoil, light triggers, and free recoil. Have you considered coming out to New Mexico and shooting the competition dynamic steel safari? It'll give you an opportunity to put some solid practical field shooting in the books, and you'll probably get your opportunity to have multiple chances to hold two or th uh, two or more mills off a target. Well, hell, I did that this weekend, <laughs> this past weekend, a couple times in Pig River, Virginia. But um, to answer your question, uh, I mean, I, I, you're right and you're wrong. You're right is that I do very much so see the value in everything that you just uh, mentioned, and I feel that like that needs to be held at the utmost importance and um practice but that also would said i'm shooting a six dasher and have a 22 pound rifle uh, i don't free recoil because i don't do that but as far as the weight um and the the cartridge the recoil um you know i and light triggers my, my, i don't have super light triggers my single stage trigger was probably like a pound and a half my two stage trigger is probably two pounds one pound first stage one pound second stage uh, on my AI, the AI competition trigger. So I don't, um, I don't have a super light trigger. Um, but, uh, do I have a thought about coming to the steel safari? I mean, no, I've never thought about it. I mean, I just, I don't feel as though I, at least not yet that I deserve to spend the money and the time away and all this stuff to go all the way to New Mexico, just shoot a match. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but, uh, I'd rather just work on those things. And if something like that opened up around here, I'd love to shoot it. But we just don't have the geography here to run a match like they do with Steel Safari. But as far as, you know, light recoil, uh, David Thomas and um, David Thomas from the uh, Rifles Only podcast and Jake Bynum, Jacob Bynum were talking the other day. David had posted on Cypress Hide about what we would would we shoot this match this match is like a weight limit of 16 17 pounds and no breaks and i was like heck yeah i ran a 17 pound rifle to suppressor and a 6.5 creedmoor for a couple of years um and uh i'd shoot this dasher with no break or no suppressor at 17 pounds all i gotta do is just take the weights off this thing and it's done let's say I, I got the rifle ready to go i would do that um I don't have a super light trigger, so I don't have to worry about there being a trigger weight problem. Um, but, uh, that's, um, yeah, that's where we're at. I, I think there's nothing but value in being able to do those things and, and shoot that, that rifle that you're talking about or, or shooting those kind of matches. Uh, we're, we're supposed to be riflemen first and, uh, more so than playing, you know, long range golf, right? Uh, you're supposed to be a rifleman. You know, a, I started this shooting this game for two reasons. One, I want to be a better hunter. Um, longer shots on deer, being more ethical and being able to take those shots on deer, having equipment that's able to do that. 
that was first and foremost. But the second part is, is the same reason why I, you know, take jujitsu now is I think it's as an American, I think it is important to practice things to make yourself as deadly as possible. Not the way you should do it, but that way, if you ever had to, you have that ability, whether it's shooting pistol, whether it's self-defense, hand-to-hand combat, whether it's shooting a rifle. I think, and we're going to talk about this when I have Heath on the podcast, and it was supposed to have been done Thursday, but Courtney just got out of COVID um, uh, quarantine, so we, we weren't doing that. We were She was out living her best life. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about this. I think shooting long-range precision, I think, is in, in shooting pistol very well, tactical pistol, carbine, I think that is a martial art. What's the definition of martial art? It it's it fits every description of that. What we're doing isn't is the same thing, just deadlier than anything hand to hand combat, and it takes the same type of uh, concentration, the same sometimes more, the same type of discipline, same type of dedication to learning a skill, all those things. It's a martial art, so I think. You need to be able to, just like jujitsu, be able to do jujitsu in the gi and without the gi. Gi and no gi, right? Uh, this could be like the heavy rifles could be the gi, and the you know the more a three a sixteen pound three oh eight with a two pound trigger could be the the no gi, right? So I think that's very important to do, um, and have nothing but value in that. Um, that was the last question. We are an hour and 37 into this. And, uh, go play. Go play now. All right. Sorry. Um, let's see. Uh, the question that I feel deserves the giveaway. Let's see. I, I, in my mind right now, I have. I have two. I have two questions that I think deserve. I'm gonna go back and read them. For go through them again, making my decision here. Um, I'm in between. I'm in between the. The dry firing question, what to do, because I think that question, um, I guess, is most applicable to everybody. Um, and I hope I gave a good answer uh, that could help you guys. Hope And, and also to Gamecock525. And um, to Will, the question of... What are things that I learned from my parents that I would pass down to Jax? Um, because I feel like a lot of our problem. No, I don't feel like I know this for absolute scientific fact. 90% of the problems we have in this nation are caused by people whose parents didn't teach them well. They didn't teach them value. The biggest thing they didn't teach them is personal responsibility because 99% of the problems can be then traced back. And if you, if look, if you don't believe me, test me, send me a message and say, well, this problem is a problem we have in our country. Where does personal responsibility come from that? And I will show you how personal responsibility 
is uh, attributed. So the lack of is is attributed to that problem. I promise you, I can. I've, I've thought it. I've tried to trick myself. I've tried to get myself on that, and I can't do it. Everything I can definitely make a lawyer's solid case, Johnny Cochran case, on why personal responsibility is um, the lack of is caused the 99% of the problems in this country. And that is one thing I didn't even mention that I should have. That is one of the biggest things that I'm teaching Jacks right now is personal responsibility. Well, if your thing is broke, why is it broke? Did I break it? Did it break sitting there by itself? Did mommy break it? No, you didn't take care of your stuff. Therefore, you do not have that anymore because it is now unserviceable. You cannot use it. No, I'm not buying another one because next time you're going to take care of whatever that said thing is. So that is why it's important. Um, I think I'm going to go with that one. I think I'm going to go with Will. Will, your question uh, is is the one that's going to win the Precision Underground uh, giveaway. So, Will, I'm going to have to go back through my message on Sniper's Hide and find out exactly what your screen name is. I'll send you a post after this, let you know your question won. I hope you enjoyed the questions. Um and uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the questions and the answers. I loved them. I loved them all. None of them were bad questions. Uh, I wish I had more of them. wish I'd gotten more questions. Um, and we'll, we'll do this again. Hopefully, if you guys like this episode and like this thing, we're an hour and 40 in. Um, hopefully, if you guys like this, then we will uh, um, we'll do this again. And whenever I, I'll do another giveaway. Even if I'm giving away something of mine. Like, I don't even know what, I, what I'll give away or Vortex wants to send me something or maybe Josh at PVA wants to send me a, a discount code for something. We'll do a giveaway. Um, but uh, I, I really enjoyed that and I want to do it again. And um, I, I felt like I was when I was rolling on something earlier, I was like, man, I was supposed to mention that before I did the Q&A stuff. So it had nothing to do with the Q&A stuff, but something I wanted to mention. And I'm not, I'm not thinking of it. But either way, I'll save it and I'll remember it and put it in my notes for the future, a future podcast. So, guys, I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. I uh, wanted to get one out to you. Um, I do want to talk about Heath. Um, Heath is excited to come on. Heath's going to be good. It's going to be precision rifle talk, jiu-jitsu talk, life talk. I can guarantee you we're going to get into politics. Still going to get James on. Uh, we're, going, we're going to do that. And uh, I'm looking at a couple other guests um and uh i'm gonna keep the podcast rolling for you guys um thanks for listening comment rate on itunes podbean spotify whatever whatever app you're listening on rate the podcast uh however you feel it should be um and uh share it with your friends and uh you know send me a message whatever you want let me know what you're thinking if you think i suck tell me i suck um otherwise keep it going guys Um, until then keep it frosty and, uh, we'll talk at you later.